Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that doesn't repeat the same day over and over, just the same basic structure. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Daniel Acton. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching, and we have a conflict of interest about what we're anticipating watching this summer. We'll talk some real news, and our main review is Palm Springs, finally available in the UK. At long last. I feel like it's been a year since we were supposed to be watching this film. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. We are officially on day release before we go back into lockdown, so that's good. Can't say anything's changed. I've not done anything out of the norm, other than a late-night Tesco trip. It seems that half of our anecdotes in the last seven months have revolved around Tesco's. I went there, and I thought, I'm going to see what happens when I go late at night. Is it an easier shopping experience? There's less people around. I walked over to the security guard, and I said, excuse me, are you open till 12 o'clock tonight? To which she responded, no, sorry, love, we close at 12. Isn't that the same thing? She's being pedantic there. And I did feel like saying, yeah, you basically just said the same thing back to me. But I thought, you know what? I'll let it lie. You've put me in a bad mood for this whole shopping experience. Why are you being a sake? Was she being sake or did she not understand what you were saying? Open until midnight. I don't know there's any other way you could understand that than what it is. Well, she's come back at me with the exact same thing. I don't know what she was getting at, but I thought she was being facetious and I didn't like her tone. Oh, the other thing that I will mention, made a bit of a F up this week. I was in charge of the Instagram post. I tagged Daisy Ridley in our chaos walking post advertising that, and she liked it. I nearly fell off my seat. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited until I realised that it was actually a Daisy Ridley fan page. They're very quick to like things, those fan pages. Daniel, what have you been watching this week? Not a lot, really. The only thing that I've managed to watch, aside from the BAFTAs, which I'll come on to, I watched them on Amazon Prime. Have you heard about this? No. I'll start off by saying, if you are white, if you are a white person and you want a TV show to make you utterly ashamed of your own race, this will do the trick. It's Amazon's latest attempt to bridge the gap between the content available on their streaming platform and that of its rivals. This time around, they're plugging the horror anthology gap. So I see it as a rival to either American Horror Story or the Mike Nichols Haunting series on Netflix. The first season of this, Them, Covenant, is about a black family moving to an all-white Los Angeles neighbourhood where malevolent forces next door, another worldly, threaten to taunt, ravage and destroy them. People may remember, I don't expect them to, a few months back I gave my thoughts and opinions on Lovecraft Country, which also focused on the black experience in the same time period of the 1950s. So it it covered very similar ground, especially in its opening episode. I fell really quickly off the hype train on Lovecraft Country because it went too batshit crazy too quickly and it just went on a downward spiral after that. Despite the similarities, there are some major differences. Although there's unrest within the time period you do in Lovecraft Country get a good sense of the black community and that's completely different to them because instead you have here a family who don't have any community or support they move from what appears to be living out in the sticks 
with little or nobody around them to a predominantly white neighbourhood where residents look on aghast that a black family would even consider encroaching upon the world. It sets up its stall really well from the first opening scene and the old-timey credits with cigarette burns on the screen. It's truly creepy and unsettling in that opening scene. But further to that, it's terrifying in more ways than one because you have these supernatural undertones to the show, which are sufficiently creepy and well done. But just seeing through the lens of this black family, obviously it's a fictional TV series, but it's heavily influenced and faithful to the time period in terms of oppression and societal attitudes. And quite frankly, it's disgusting. So as soon as they move into this new home, all the people on the street come outside and they pitch the deck chairs and tables and just sit outside of this family's house, blasting music, sipping on lemonade, just to intimidate them. They're just staring at this house, waiting for them to see them. Obviously, we all know racism isn't a thing of the past completely, but I think it's eye-opening to just witness how archaic things used to be. It's, frankly, depressing. Moving past that, in terms of representing this time period, not just from a racial prejudice point of view, but aesthetically, the production values are really high. It's very well realised from the costumes down to the decor of the houses. I am interested to see how much race factors into the story from the opening episode. It would indicate that it's going to be quite a lot, but it's quite light in episode one in terms of the horror and the supernatural. So I don't quite know if it's going to lean more on that or whether the terror is going to come from these white residents around them. I've only seen the first episode, but I do like what I've seen and I have quite high hopes. So I'm going to see it through. Them on Amazon Prime. Is that new? Brand new. Came out on the 9th of April. I don't get marketing on Amazon Prime. They don't seem to do any promotion for their new stuff. No. Either outside of their platform or on their own app and website. You can't see what the new stuff is. It is a very weird selection process. I think we lightly touched on this last week, didn't we, with happily disappearing into the background, but completely agreed. Because Palm Springs, when did it come out? 4th of April, maybe. Not on the front page anymore as one of the 10 different new things that are available. It's disappeared. It's gone. You're going to have to search for it. I don't understand. Mind-boggling. Do you want to hear something else mind-boggling? Shoot. I Can See Your Voice, the new singing show on the BBC on Saturday evenings. And I was aware of this because it was being advertised quite frequently on the BBC. And I thought, if you're pushing it this hard, I'll watch it. It's weird to see Jimmy Carr and Amanda Holden on the BBC. They seem out of place because you normally see them on ITV or Channel 4. It's like when Des Lynham moved to ITV. The contestants, which is a couple with this episode, they have to pick the good singer from a group of six people based only on a lip-sync performance, video bios, or short interrogations. There is more than one good singer within that group of six. The celebrity judges also give their opinions, and at the end of each round of questioning or performance, the eliminated singer reveals their voice, and if it's a bad voice, it's funny, and then that's celebrated. I spent the full hour trying to understand what was happening. So if you're confused by what I'm saying, watching it isn't any easier. Are you confused? I I have spent the last two minutes just trying to work out what you're saying. Yeah, Not that you're not describing it well, it's just obviously odd. It's the only programme I've seen that has regular text explanations on screen for what is happening. Like, remember, Tom and Phil need to eliminate the bad singers. Good singers lip sync to their own voice, bad singers lip sync to someone else. Singers can only lie about their singing experience. Everything else is true. 
I know it, it's just really hard to understand. But was I entertained? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was entertained. Would you recommend it though? For lightest of the light Saturday evening entertainment with a good cast like Paddy McGuinness and Jamie Carr. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Only if there is nothing else will I resort to. I can see your voice, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. Anything else that you've been watching? For All Mankind on Apple TV, which is currently going through its second season. Where has this been? Why have I not watched this from the start from 2019? I love it. It's an alternate history about the space program in the 1970s, where Russia lands on the moon first. The Vietnam War ends in 1970. More exciting things are happening in space, like a moon base. It's more about the drama on the ground than in space. The pressures on NASA to do certain things, crew selection, some relationship drama, it's more focused on that. If you like Apollo 13, watch this. It's cinematic, it's got high production values, the acting is good, which includes Joel Kinnaman from Altered Carbon, Robocop and The Suicide Squad. It was developed by Ronald D. Moore, whose credits include Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Battlestar Galactica and Outlander. The quality is there, is the point that I'm making. It's not a totally embarrassing disaster like Away with Hilary Swank. The astronauts and engineers are all highly trained and intelligent people who don't act like idiots. I'm six episodes into the first season. I think it's brilliant. For all mankind on Apple TV. I have heard other podcasts rave about this. It does seem to be a bit of an underrated and undiscovered gem. But now that I know somebody who's seen it, who's validated that, i.e. you, I may give it a go. Joel Kinnaman, why is he in everything? Because he's got an amazing body. Well argued, fair enough. Altered Carbon, if you want proof of that. Season one alone, do not watch season two. Oh, God. Sorry for bringing that back up. I don't want to think about it. That's what we've been watching. But right now, James, why don't we discuss all the things that we want to watch this summer? What are you talking about, yeah? I very much disagree Shut up, with yeah. that. Too. You do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you say makes sense. Conflicts of interest. Let's talk about our most anticipated films of summer 2021. And we're saying that summer is from May to September. We've got three each and two honourable mentions each. Should we go back and forth, James? Do you want to kick us off? What have you got first? First, I've got Top Gun, Maverick, which is Top Gun 2, the sequel to Top Gun, starring Tom Cruise. It's Tom Cruise back in one of his most famous roles from 1986. Why he's choosing to come back to it now, I don't know, but I'll always look forward to a Tom Cruise film. I bloody love Tom Cruise. And... This was supposed to come out much earlier, so it's been anticipated for quite a long time. There's been a strong trailer for it, and the cast includes Ed Harris and Jennifer Connelly, two of my favourites, that are a sign of quality, usually. And judging from the trailer, it's got Tom Cruise really in a real plane. So there's going to be some cool flying bits. And I don't think Tom Cruise would have come back if there wasn't a good script a good film here to make so i'm looking forward to it very good he did make night and day let's not forget that 
Although that wasn't returning to a famous role. I think you're right. He's not going to return if it's not a decent script. It feels like it's been due out for five years, this. Yes, you're right. It's been almost released for a long time. And it's mm. finished. I'm sure it's finished. It's just not come out yet. Hopefully that means you've had more time to, to tinker and make it even better. Very good. Confession. Never seen Top Gun. I may have on TV ages ago, but I've not been back and revisited it like I have with most of the Tom Cruise films. Isn't it weird how just within two sentences we can lose half of our listening audience? What's your first choice? Right up top, I'm going to say all mine are films to dampen the summer spirit and instead exist in darkness. I am who I am. First off, Spiral. The Book of Saw, due in mid-May 2021. Never could get a solid date on this for the UK, but it is May. Uh, it was originally due out like many films last year when COVID hit. And I loved some of the original franchise of Saw. I don't think it really needs any real introduction, but basically, if you weren't interested, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's a serial killer, pits people against each other with a series of elaborate torture puzzles after ending the franchise four years ago i can only think like you said with top gun that they've got a good enough reason to resurrect this after such a short amount of time i thought it was a reboot it's not it's a continuation of the other eight films eight films i really hope that they don't rely on the later films to explain the mythology because i I did lose interest It, it lost steam a bit the good news is Darren Lynn Bozeman, or Bozeman, I don't know how you say it, he's back directing. He did the Saw 2, 3, and 4, I think it was. And they were all pretty decent. At least 2 and 3 were. Um, that's just made me remember, actually. Do you remember when I used to really take joy in the fact that when Saw 2 came out, the second one, I could go up to people and I'd say, oh, I saw Saw 2 too, and they'd get really confused. <laughs> I do remember that, actually. Yeah, sad, isn't it? Um, Chris Rock, he's one of the central characters he is, is a detective who finds himself in the midst of Jigsaw's games. I've never seen him in a serious role, have you? No, I didn't even know he did any acting. <laughs> you don't remember Mainly Bad... From his, from his comedy. I don't remember Bad Company with Anthony Hopkins or Down to Earth, some right classics. Unfortunately not. I don't remember them. Okay. Anyway, he's in a fairly serious role, so I'm quite intrigued to see what that looks like. And apparently Samuel L. Jackson is another detective in the mix. So the cast looks good. I'm sure it'll be terrible, but I'm going to have some faith for now. That That's quite a contradictory statement, isn't it? But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, not that positive for your top pick for the most anticipated film of the year. No. I'll have a think about what I've done. James, what's next on your list? Partly out of a sense of obligation, partly out of actually looking forward to it. Black Widow coming July 9th, finally. I'm looking forward to this one because despite not even being released, it already has a 4.8 out of 5 rating from 3,521 ratings on Google reviews. So it's got to be high quality. Yeah, special effects team. I've been a fan of Scarlett Johansson for 
20 years ever since Lost in Translation, just like the rest of the world. So if she's going to be in something, I'm sure it'll be okay, at least. It's the long-awaited film that apparently the fans have been demanding for years. I've not been witness to any of these fan demands. I just know that people are happy with the character. It's only after it became fashionable to ask for it that suddenly there was talk about how the fans were demanding it. Basically, I don't think the fans were demanding it. But it's being made. Right film, wrong time, should have come out in between Infinity War and Endgame, and it should have been set in between Infinity War and Endgame. I realise that doesn't really work with the first 15 minutes of Endgame, but that's what I would have liked to see instead of Captain Marvel. It's actually between Civil War and Infinity War. Spoilers, she's dead. So what reason do we have to care about this? They need to do something special, and that's the reason for my anticipation. What is it in this film that's going to make it worth watching? Scarlett Johansson's outfit. Yep, the white outfit in the poster. I've got a prediction for you. Do you want to hear my prediction? Go on. Opening scene, Black Widow's grave. Florence Puh is stood there. And someone comes over and is like, oh, who are you? And she turns over and says one line or a meaningful glance. Fade to the flashback. And the whole film is Florence Puh's flashback. And then final scene, back at the grave. She's, you know, explained who she is and she's the new Black Widow. And they say, oh, well, if all that is true and you're Scarlett Johansson's sister, then come and join the Avengers. And then that's it. Black Widow has been recast. Interesting. Okay. We've made a few bets in the last last few weeks. Do, do you want to wage any money on that? We're up to a tenner, I think, in, in debt at the minute. Yeah, I'll put another tenner on it. My first tenor was for Chadwick Boseman, best actor, wasn't it? Yes. Okay, I'll I'll do I'll do ten pound specifically for Florence Pooh at the grave. The film is a flashback. Her flashback. What's with you, various? <laughs> oh, sorry, I can't cope. You've, you've said a name differently like three times now, and now I'm confused as to what it actually is. I'm keeping my options open. He didn't say what I thought it was, which is Florence Pugh. Right, that may, that sounds the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to see her in it. I really like her as an actress. I think she's very good, but I don't think she's done any anything of this kind before. Actually, this is her first real action role, at least that I'm aware of. I think it is. Yeah, it is. So it'd be good to see if she's got the uh, chops for this. Will you be watching it in the cinema or not? Because am I right in saying it's day and date released on Disney Plus as well as cinemas? Yes, it is. I'd like to see it in cinemas. Yeah, I think I think it deserves it. It does deserve it. Do you care about this? You're not much of a Marvel CU guy. <laughs> I'll watch it. As for being, you know, really like, ooh, not so much. That leaves me in a fortunate position, though, because if I like it, you know, Maybe I shouldn't have been so blasé about it going in. We'll see. And we'll see if the X-Men are introduced. They won't be introduced. It's not going to happen for years. What's your number two choice? As I said, all remaining in quite dark territory. Next off, Candyman. Another, well, Saw isn't a remake, or Spiral, should I say. But this is a remake. And 
it had quite an impact on my childhood, the original. I remember watching it, despite it being an 18-rated film, when I was about seven, and had quite vicious nightmares off the back of it. The original 1992 film that starred Tony Todd, and it is based on a horror novel by Clive Barker, who also brought us the character Hellraiser. So, you know, he's quite good at creating these horror icons. And it's about a creepy-looking murderous dude with a hook for a hand who is summoned every time an idiot says Candyman three times in a mirror. The main reason that I am slightly intrigued when it comes to this film is that the screenplay is by Jordan Peele. He directed the horror hits that have come out in the last few years, Get Out and Us, both of which I liked for their originality. I felt like it was bringing something new to the horror genre, which is always quite difficult these days because it's so worn down everyone's done everything but he seems to have brought something new like i say he's not directing it's just his screenplay so maybe that's false hope but i am excited to see where this goes i saw that on a number of anticipated films lists so this is a remake of an old horror film yes so it could enjoy the kind of success that it had as a, as a remake of an old classic yeah and despite it being too too long it it was a very good remake actually far better than i was expecting it to be so hopefully this is in the same sort of vein that one however if it is released simultaneously in theaters and on streaming services just gonna watch it on the tv i think yeah yeah number three last but not least for you james coming out of left field zola I only know about this film's existence because I have looked at some lists of anticipated films. This is an American biographical comedy drama film. It is based on an infamous 148-tweet Twitter thread in which Zola, a real person, meets a sex worker named Stefani at a restaurant where Zola works, etc., etc. They bond over pole dancing they go on a cross-country trip. There's lots of shenanigans in strip clubs, and it's a crazy, unexpected trip. I'm anticipating this because it's a film based on a Twitter thread. So we're in new ground here. This is a truly modern film. They've made a film based on a Twitter thread, and that blows my mind so much that I'm putting it as one of my most anticipated films of the summer, scheduled for June 30th, 2021. It says United States. I'm hoping it does get released in the UK as well this summer. Also, another reason to anticipate, it's being released by A24 Films, and they've also released other films that I've liked, like On the Rocks and St. Maud, and Boy State, and other critically acclaimed films like Minari and Uncut Gems and First Cow, and The Lighthouse, and Midsommar, starring Francis Pug. So... There's a reason to believe it's going to be high quality. Zola. Francis Pug. (laughs) That's a really good pick, that. Not too conventional, but um, that's good to see. You don't want something that somebody's heard of. I'm sorry, that's all my list consists of, but glad you brought us something a bit different there. Sounds interesting. Very interesting. What's your number three? At this point, I don't think it's going to shock anyone. It's another horror film. Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, 
The Devil Made Me, list this as my number three, is the latest instalment in this universe. When I was reading up on this, it says it's the eighth film in this universe. It's Conjuring 3. I don't know what all the others are. I think some of the Annabelle films, which I think there's only two of, and maybe The Nun is the other one. So what are the other two? Are The Haunting of Something films part of this series? The other ones on Netflix, on all those TV series? Yeah. Don't get it. I, maybe I should have done my research and found out what they are. But at this moment in time, I don't. But I liked The Conjuring 1 and 2. I thought they were very effective supernatural horrors. And I particularly like Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. One as actors, but two as an on-screen couple. Because they're, if anybody isn't familiar, they play real-life paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren. And this film, it centres around a fight to save the soul of a young boy and... It's probably very loosely based on facts, but it was the first time in US history that a murder suspect would claim demonic possession as a defence. So maybe it's going to not lean so heavily on the supernatural aspects of this. Maybe it'll be more of a courtroom drama. I don't really know what to expect because I haven't seen a trailer or a clip, but they are very well done horror films, so I'm expecting quite a lot of this. And that's why I listed it as my number three. So Conjuring 1 and 2, would you say they're both as good as each other? Yes. The I forget what the first one was about, but the second one, do you remember The Enfield Haunting with Timothy Spall, which was like a three-part TV series on ITV a few years ago? No. No. Oh, okay. It's about an infamously haunted house in somewhere in the UK. And this was basically like, Oh, nice one, ITV. That was quite a good little drama. We're going to blow it out the water now and do a Hollywood film based on exactly the same thing. So the second film was basically that, but on the big screen. Um, and it, you know, it was true to the fact that the, the investigators are the same and they were characters in the original Conjuring, so why wouldn't it be a natural progression for the story, I guess? But yeah, they're both very good, so high expectations. So if Conjuring 3 is good as well, this could be a very high-quality trilogy, which is a rare thing to have a consistently good trilogy. Yes, but I have been wounded before. Insidious, for example, same filmmakers or, or same studio and people involved. First two, really good. Third one, shockingly bad. So we could, we could be having the same sort of thing happen here. We'll have to wait and see. A varied selection there. I think we've gone for good variety. It's diverse in many ways, as usual. Pat ourselves on the back. I don't know if you're being sarcastic. I'm not being sarcastic. Well, yours were good in terms of variety. Mine are all horror films and either sequels or remakes or reboots. <laughs> if you look at the cast of yours, I think my point still stands. You're giving a compliment and I'm just trying to shoot you down. So that's, I'll take it. Pat on the back. Well done, us. We'll do quick honourable mentions. We've got two each. My first one is A Quiet Place, part two, which had its New York premiere on March the 8th, 2020. So they were so close to releasing it, but it's been delayed. And now finally in June, we can see it. I love the first one. If I remember correctly, you weren't that keen. No, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was very mediocre, but maybe it's worth a rewatch. It's John Krasinski coming back to write and direct. Emily Blunt's in it. I love Emily Blunt. So I'm looking forward to it. And my second one is The Beatles Get Back. Not a big Beatles fan, 
but this has been hyped quite heavily. There's hype just over this sneak peek that's come out, which is good. So I'm hanging on for this to be good, directed by Peter Jackson, coming out in August. Is it a documentary? Or? It is a documentary about the making of the Let It Be album. And the idea is that maybe things weren't that contentious between them. There's some lighter moments in it. Oh. Right. What are your honourable mentions? First off, I don't know why I've picked this because all I've done for the last three weeks is just hound DC and what a terrible load of decisions they've made over the last decade. But Suicide Squad, I want to see what happens with this. I don't know the specifics around it. Is it acknowledging the previous Suicide Squad film? I mean, they they must be because some characters return, but is it kind of a forget about the first one? This is what it should have been. I've got no idea. They probably don't know either. (laughs) Valid point. The the thing that makes me hopeful is James Gunn, he took charge of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. Well, it's not trilogy yet, but it will be. He's good. I really like what he's done even earlier on in his career. There's a very, very odd film called Slither, which if you haven't seen it and you like some of James Gunn's work, don't watch it with the kids, but it's worth a watch. I just want to see what he does with this maybe he'll write some of the wrongs of the past so yeah good choice next one i'm probably going to ask for you to maybe add some further detail around this i heard about a film called free guy with ryan reynolds and it's him playing an npc for the non-informed that's a non-playable character in an open world video game i don't know much more than that but the plot has me excited you, I think, have seen the trailer. Can you at least validate that? Oh, no, it does look good, this, and it's worthy of being on your list. The trailer has got Baba O'Reilly by The Who in it, so it's a great trailer. It's about Ryan Reynolds' character becoming self-aware. He realises that he's in a game and he tries to get out and discover himself. It does look mm-hmm. good. And last little mention, because we don't know if it's out, in a similar way, because that was in the video game space, boss level follows a similar type of thing. It's Groundhog Day, but with like video game type fights. And I want to see it because it's already come out in America and everyone's saying it's brilliant if you switch your brain off. And I'm in the mood for that sometimes. So I don't know if it's out this year, but if it does come out, I'll be very much looking forward to that. With Mel Gibson? Yes. Okay. If rumours are to be believed, you can download it illegally now, but because I don't participate in that sort of behaviour, I haven't. I'll wait, thanks. So we just wanted to give you a bit of a flavour for what the summer looks like and give you something to look forward to. Maybe you've made the decision that none of those films interest you in the slightest and you're saying, well, thanks a lot for nothing. But we're all in times of monotony and the day-to-day just it's just too much. Let's think about the future. Things are changing. This is what you've got to look forward to. It's the real thing. It is now... Real, real news, news. Right, we're in the same situation that we were last week. Nothing's going on. There is no news. So what do we have to discuss? Award winners. Before we dig into BAFTA winners, James, did you catch any of this monstrosity on the BBC? I did, actually. I watched about half of it. This has been pointed out last year, but what I liked about the largely virtual ceremony was how short it was. Two hours, very little nonsense. Award, award, award. 
Dermot O'Leary tells a joke. Done. You actually made it further than I. I only managed 25 minutes of this before I could not take it any longer. I don't disagree with you. I like that it's a bit more snappy and to the point. But why have they made this choice to put canned laughter and applause in? It is so odd and jarring and it doesn't even fit sometimes. Like the laughs come and they're just not timed well with what's being said. It makes it feel very cringe especially with the interactions between, is it Edith Bowman? Edith Bowman, yeah, and Dermot O'Leary. Yeah, those two bouncing off each other to a laughter track is one of the most abysmal, heart-wrenching things I've ever seen. I really feel for them both and their careers after that. It was awkward. However, would it be more or less awkward to have silence, to have Dermot O'Leary doing his act, then silence, and then cut to a video package? Oh, no, I've not actually had the misfortune of seeing how any of the other awards played out. Have you watched any of the Emmys or No, I haven't. No, I don't I don't know how they've approached this. If it's the same sort of thing, then fair enough, we've just followed suit. But this is the first I've seen of its kind and it struck me as extremely I, I don't even know the word. I don't know the word. <laughs> they could do what they do on the one show on the BBC weeknights at seven PM, where they have the crew behind the camera laugh so someone will say something and then you'll get (laughs) I think they need to explore other options is what I'm saying, it didn't work for me. Okay. Anyway, should we dig into who won what and who didn't? Yes, as long as we're not going to do an incredibly tedious rundown of reading the whole list of everyone that won. We can't do that, we don't have the running time on this podcast to facilitate it, so let's just concentrate on the big hitters, shall we? Yeah. First off, best film, arguably the most important and prestigious award, Nomadland. Ooh, didn't actually see that one coming. I thought The Father would have won. What do you think about that? I thought Promising Young Woman would win, based on what? I don't know. I wasn't that surprised with Nomadland, though, because it is supposed to be amazing. I think it was just, I've heard a lot more hype about the father and Anthony Hopkins' performance. So I think I was just leaning towards that winning. But yeah, fair enough. Promising Young Woman did have its night, though, as it won Outstanding British Film. They've just made a bit of a compromise there. You're not having best film, but you can have this one. Promising Young Woman and Nomadland, we haven't seen them because they're not even released in the UK. So what I want to know is, my question for BAFTA is, for these British Academy voters, is how did they see these films? Did they use a VPN? Got connections, aren't they? They'll have received some sort of dodgy screener with some annoying text that goes across the bottom every five minutes, yeah. which to my knowledge ruins the viewing experience. What about the actors? Best actor. Guess who won? You know, don't you? Anthony Hopkins, the father. It was indeed. Good to see an actor reaching the end of his life. <laughs> 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 Let me rephrase. (laughs) Good to see an actor reaching the end of his career and ending it on such a high is what I meant to say. And he said in an interview that he wasn't expecting to get something like this this late in his career. And something that he said afterwards that I thought was funny was that it's about an old man losing his mind and I didn't have to act because I am an old man. (laughs) So he's just completely undermined himself by implying that he put no effort into the role. He was just being himself. They probably just filmed him going about his day-to-day and slotted a story around him. Edited it together with Olivia Coleman giving context. Next up, 
Another biggie. It's leading actress. Francis McDormand won for Nomadland. Two in the bag. What do you say about that, James? It's a no-brainer, but I'd like someone to explain why the titular promising young woman, Carrie Mulligan, wasn't nominated for Best Actress. That don't make no sense to me. Yeah, and I did think, I can't even remember what character Vanessa Kirby played in Promising Young Woman until I realised that it was an entirely different film called Pieces of a Woman. But that's a fair point, that. Why wasn't she nominated? Having said that, neither of us have seen it. Maybe we'll know why when we watch it in a few weeks because it might not be that good of a performance. One last one, a bonus one. A documentary that you talked about that you made me aware of, My Octopus Teacher, was the best documentary. A documentary that was so moving for my wife that we watched it three times in three days. I'm glad to see that get a bit of love because it's flown under the Netflix radar once again. I don't think enough people have seen it, but it's a heartwarming story that I think everybody should be compelled to see. There you go. It's got an award now. Seek it out. My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. Last thing on this subject, did you notice in some categories how they had a very small number of contenders? When they did the best animated feature and there was only three films, Soul, Wolfwalkers and Onwards, I thought, where's the rest of them? Three? What are you playing at? Anyway, not that important. Just confused me, but it doesn't take a lot. Let's see if we're confused by the endless time loop of our main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Palm Springs. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. (laughs) Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm going to get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. So now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Do you sleep with people in here? Great question. I have, but it takes a lot of work. May I cut in? It's the first dance. And that's a deal breaker? The obvious thing would be to do a bit about a time loop being similar to life in lockdown. Andy Samberg and Kristin Milioti star in this romantic comedy about being unable to escape your immediate surroundings, spending all your time with one person, questioning your reasons to live and repeating the same day over and over. It's Lockdown, the movie. There, I did it. I'm glad you did, to be fair. I'm glad that you went that way. IMDb disagrees with you and it says that it's a film about, in fact, this doesn't flow naturally, stuck in a time loop, two wedding guests develop a budding romance while living the same day over and over again. Is that it? That's it. Which conveniently has filled me with a bit of confidence because I didn't know whether to even hint at what the plot of this film is. Plot synopsis gives it away. The trailer might give it away as well. 
Do you feel like the less that you know about this film, the better? And Amazon Prime sums it up in a lot better way than IMDb does. They say, when Kerfrey, Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated when they find themselves unable to escape the venue themselves and each other. That's better, isn't it? That's much better. Anyway, it's too late now. We've, we've given it away. Daniel, what did you think of Palm Springs? We, as a collective, me and you, you and I, James, we often see eye to eye on most films, but it really is comedy that has tended to split us down the middle. So as ever, I'm uncertain and in anticipation as to what side you're going to be on with this. That said, unlike previous comedies we've reviewed, I don't think, and I may be wrong, that this is as divisive as a comedy like Barb and Star. It's not absurd, or maybe I should say as absurd. It is instead a more traditional comedy, which just so happens to include a fantastical premise. I was going to avoid talking about it, but we've mentioned it now. So in the open, it's about an infinite time loop scenario. Each day, Andy Samberg wakes up at a hotel venue to watch a wedding play out, only to wake up the next morning and relive the same day over and over again. We've seen this before, some people might say. They might roll their eyes and think, why do I have to watch this? I've seen this thing about a thousand times. But personally, I don't think I've seen it done in the comedy genre to such a high standard, or at least not for many years. So don't write it off for those reasons. You've already pointed this out, but it was made prior to coronavirus. But it is ironic, I think, how much resonance this time loop story has in a lockdown world. It is a tired concept, but it manages to cleverly avoid certain cliches and tropes whilst also embracing some of them at the same time. I think it balances that really well. For the most part, I would argue that the concept of time being a time loop is almost incidental. It's more, this is a situational comedy, and it just so happens the situation is repeating the same day. Instead, what the film focuses in on is the main characters of Niles and Sarah, what it means for them to wake up to their failings and mistakes each morning and how they navigate their way through this predicament they find themselves in. It's essentially two lost souls who find solace in each other's company. I have to call out both leads in this. I think they definitely benefited from a really tight script. There's no denying that it wouldn't have worked so well if it wasn't for them bouncing off each other so effortlessly. And they do really have chemistry together. Andy Samberg, he's not just an out-and-out goofball as he is in many of his roles. There's layers to his characters, and I feel like there's a sincerity to his performance, which took me by surprise, really, and it made him feel a bit more relatable. Kristin Malotti... Similarly, she's really good in this role. Yes, it's a comedy, but there's some real dramatic moments in this film which rely heavily on her communicating internal feelings with subtle glances and gestures. And I really noticed in this film how much she conveys with her eyes alone. They're very expressive. Speaking of the dramatic moments, it's not a balls-to-the-wall comedy fest. There's a bit more substance to it than that. I'm not saying it's deeply profound, but it takes its time to address themes such as morality and existentialism. And I liked that. And yes, it is more than a standard comedy, but it really is bloody funny as well, I thought. All in all, it's a really sharp script. There's always something to smile or laugh about from one scene to the next. 
but it doesn't compromise on having poorly fleshed out characters. There's enough personal drama for each of them for you to get invested in. It definitely doesn't overstate its welcome. I think credit's not included. It's around 83 minutes, so it's punchy yet effective. I honestly can't say enough good things about this. I think it's an all-round crowd-pleaser, and even if the comedy doesn't land with you, I think there's enough in terms of that story and that romance for you to have a fun time with it. At the end of the day, I loved this film, and I felt so much happier for seeing it. James, what about you? I fit into the category that you described at the beginning of your comments there. I was worried when I realised what the premise of this film was. I'd seen the hype and I didn't see how it could be that good. It's that good. And the shocking thing is, is that it's basically a romantic comedy, as you said. It follows the beats of a romantic comedy, like the falling out and the lonely montage at the end of the second act. But they squeeze so much entertainment out of the time loop premise. For example, Andy Samberg wakes up in his bedroom with his girlfriend at the beginning of the day and they do something different and more funny every time that happens. Kristen Milioti is constantly pushing for a solution to what's happening and that gives the whole thing energy and purpose. And at the same time, you've got all the comedy that you've been talking about. It is actually funny. Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti are brilliant. Samberg, I already liked from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So I already knew that he can act. And like you said about Kristen Milioti, she delivers as well. Both funny, but both very lovable. You're right when you say it would collapse without their chemistry, I think. Halfway through, I started to really think about things. Like, look at how much opportunity there is in a single day. Even within that limited space and time, There are so many experiences and people to enjoy. It felt profound and I wasn't expecting to be hit with that kind of thing in an Andy Samberg comedy. I think it's a classic. I'm going to put it out there. This is a top five film of the year. 2021 contender for the podcast. I loved it. All 83 minutes. Same as you. thought it was brilliant. You've gone there. You've laid it down, a top five, perhaps, at the end of the year. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. It is really that good. Does it not make you a bit annoyed, though, that we've waited this long for it to arrive in the UK and a film of this quality is free within the Amazon Prime package, yet we have to pay for absolute nonsense, £15 for a film of chaos walking standards? It doesn't make any sense. I would happily pay £15 for this film, happily. So we both said, you know, it's quick, it's breezy. It goes along at a nice pace. I do feel as though the editing was instrumental in that. It feels really fluid and slick how it's done. And that's whether you see the same day from two different perspectives, whether it be through the Niles character or Sarah. It's just so seamlessly done how you play out that day and then, oh, cut back, you're going to relive it again, but you're going to see it from the other character's point of view. They do a similar thing where they... We'll explain something and then they'll cut to a flashback to add a bit of context around it. They do that, for example, when Niles lists all the people that he slept with since he's woke up in this nightmare. And it just works so well. I just really have to praise it for that. I thought the editing was very, very good. I agree. It just gets you straight in there. There's no establishing shots, no 90-second segments of people walking upstairs into a room looking at you, Zack Snyder. People are just already there, already talking, getting on with it. Another thing that I liked, and you've already said this, that the whole time loop thing is quite incidental. There's only two special effects 
scenes in the whole film. It's not really a mind-bending science fiction thing, and it's not being marketed as that either, but I just think it's worth saying. Because venturing slightly into spoiler territory, but later on in the film, the whole science behind this time loop, it's quite flaky, and I'm sure some quantum physicists would have problems with it. But that's a testament to how little it matters. I think that backs up what we're both saying. You really don't care about the intricacies of this mechanic because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. You're there for this story of these two people. Daniel, would you recommend Palm Springs, currently available on Amazon Prime in the UK? I don't only recommend it. I implore anyone listening to this podcast, stop what you're doing after you've finished listening. No, you need to watch it now before you get spoilers. Go and watch it now. James, do you recommend Palm Springs? Yes, I do. It's a classic. It's a classic. Shall we go into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Kristen Milioshi eventually convinces Andy Samberg to try to get out of the time loop. She does some research in a cafe, learns about quantum physics, and they jump into the time loop and blow themselves up within that three-second period that they're in the time travel tunnel, and they get out of the time loop and live their lives. Or do they? Oh, that's how I took it, but that's a good point. You think this is some form of afterlife? No, I think that they did get out, but I've seen articles saying that it's ambiguous, and I think Andy Samberg himself and maybe the writer has said, oh, yeah, it's, it's left it's left ambiguous. There are hints either way. You'll see, you'll see. watch closely. Mm. But I like to believe that they got out. I suppose it is open to interpretation, but I, I took it exactly as you had that. Yes, mission successful. Well done. Pat yourself on the back. At the end, though, when they're in the pool relaxing and you think, oh, they're living the same day again. The pool that they're in, it's in a house that they know is empty because the family's not there on that day, on the 9th of November. The family comes back and Andy Sandberg says, I guess it's the 10th of November, as though he only realises then at that point that it's the 10th of November. But wouldn't they have already realised before that that it's a different day? Because they'd have slept and not woken up where they normally do. You are you are correct. What happened before they got to the pool? They would have seen that the wedding was, is finished. That's when. That's why I got confused, but I decided to think, okay, right, that, this means that they're out. Yeah, I suppose you could, you could say that was maybe a, a lazy bit in there that didn't quite work when you pick it apart, but I didn't read into it at the time. One thing that I did not get towards the climax of the film is racing against time to get to Sarah and make sure that he's with her when she's embarking upon, oh, we're going to blow ourselves up and free ourselves from this nightmare. He gets flat tire, he's panicking, he runs across somebody that he had an interaction with earlier on in the film. And the way in which he convinces him to give him a ride on his bike is by implying that he's his son. And I did think this doesn't fit in with your sort of moral compass that you put forward earlier on in the film where you're like, oh no, uh, the things that we do really matter and they make a difference and how we affect people's lives. That is something that should weigh on us. I thought, well, hang on, if you have circumvented this little problem and you're now not in a time loop, you've now got some lonely guy thinking that his long-lost son has just appeared out of nowhere and you're just going to leave him to it. I thought, that's tight, that, you evil, evil man. I thought probably a bit too much about that, but it did <laughs> it did bother me. I didn't think of that, but yes, now that you've mentioned it, that does seem quite cruel, manipulative. Mm. But at the same time, 
it worked for the joke because you then see them hug and embrace. He's just fully willing to accept that this is his son. I thought it was quite comical, but got to take the rough with the smooth. I'll offer something negative as well. Towards the end, when Andy Samberg is in the bar and he's decided, no, I'm going to stay here. She can go off and leave the loop. The owner of the bar, that that woman, she says, there's nothing for you here. And it seems like just hearing that makes him change his mind. And then he goes off and races to go and see her. That was the only flaw in the whole thing for me. When he'd been thinking about it for years, but this one line makes him change his mind after he's had this whole debate with Christian Miller's character. It was very convenient. I do agree. I suppose faced though with the fact that if he doesn't join Sarah in this journey, he is destined to spend eternity with these people wasting their lives away in this bar. Maybe that was the moment of realisation, but it, it did strike me as a bit convenient. It was like they had to contrive a way to have that last minute dash in terms of the romance element, with any film of this type, romance blossoms. But it can't all be sunshine and roses. A wedge needs to be put in between them both. And the catalyst for this in the film is the revelation that Andy Samberg says, oh, I've slept with you thousands of times. So he's been leading her on a bit and not revealing the whole truth. What was your reaction to that scene? Because I was bitterly disappointed in him. I was like, why are you ruining this? I was disappointed as well. Very disappointed. That just shows how invested we were in the film. That when he says that, it was a it was a big moment. And it justified that slump that I was referring to earlier where they split up for a time. One thing that I do want to say, because I, I've watched this twice... I have even more respect for this film because upon a second viewing, you do get to appreciate the depth that there is to some of the proceedings earlier on in the film. So the opening scene where Andy Samberg's obviously livid with life, he's he's going through the same day again and again and again. He's quite an obnoxious person when he's in this wedding setting. But he, there's a lot of lines that he delivers that are around the fact that, oh, he is living the same day. It's not on the face of it. It doesn't sound like that's what he's saying. But when you go back and watch it, you understand why he reacts in certain conversations the way that he does, because, oh, this is his life. This is his existence now. But you just don't know that at the beginning of the film. So it, it like I say, it provides a lot more depth that I thought, God, this is a really well thought out film. It's like little things with, you know, when he's dancing at the wedding and he's mimicking other people and he can almost anticipate someone's next move because he knows what it is, because he's seen it a thousand times. You don't know that in that moment, but when you go back and watch it, you go, ah, that's why he puts a chair out for someone just as they're about to sit down. How could he possibly know that? Well, because he knows that. It's just really, really well done. It's a lot more clever than I think it looks on the surface. Yes, I agree. And I've read one or two interviews where the writer and director have said that if you do do repeat viewings, there are things going on with props and costumes that hint at other people that could be inside the loop. And apparently there are little details in the background to have fun with. So let me ask you a question. Do you think the old grandma is in the loop? Because she has one line that suggests that she is. Yes, I think that can only be what is being suggested there. But again, there's a lot more going on that you're not aware of and it sets that out quite well and does give the opportunity to explore this in more detail in a sequel, but probably don't do it, please. Don't ruin this. Yeah, don't do it. Don't turn it into a Netflix TV series either. No. Did you see the mid-credits scene with J.K. Simmons arriving at the party? No. In a mid-credits scene, J.K. Simmons, who is Roy, also caught in the time loop 
he meets Niles and Niles doesn't seem to know what's going on. He's fresh to the situation. He's not in the time loop. And J.K. Simmons realizes this and he says, oh, I got Sarah's message. And he smiles. And the suggestion is that J.K. Simmons, Roy, is also going to escape the loop using the same method. So they don't leave him behind. All right. Oh, I wish I'd seen that now. I may go back and rewatch that specific bit. Thanks for the heads up. Well, that is apparently what happens. But me being so cynical, he basically realises Andy Samberg's not in the loop when he does this smile, and it's a happy smile. My first reaction to that was, ah, he's going to get revenge on Andy Samberg and put him in the loop and not escape. I wouldn't put it past him because it did strike me as, again, convenient that he is hell-bent on revenge and killing him for almost half the film. Then suddenly, once Andy Samberg's in a bit of a rut and goes to visit him, he's like, oh, no, we can be bits. And I thought, well, what's going on here? And to be fair, they do they do explain it and they give a bit of background as to why he's had a change of heart. I thought, eh, surely he still holds some, some resentment. So that would make sense. Yeah. James, you know what? I'm ever so pleased that we've finally reviewed something that's full-on good rather than just being, eh, it's all right. Yeah, it was it was quite good. This is full-on 100% awesome. So I'm just really pleased. Can this continue, though? What are we reviewing next week? The Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed. Also on Amazon Prime. Suck on that, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's on an awards nominated high at the minute so it can only be good it can only be good right we'll see